You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Ron Mars. You are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back again for another episode of the Epic Marvel Crossover Podcast. Podcast, podcast, <laughs> podcast. Yep, uh, we're back yet again, and and uh, I'm your co-host Will Hoffneck, and uh, we're here with uh with uh well introduce yourself. <laughs> well, it's me, the other co-host, Jim Mason. How's everyone out there? Yeah, wait a oh, minute, nobody's answering. What's going on? Oh, wait a minute, we're recording this. <laughs> right, it's not like a live radio show <laughs> that we can have them like call in and you know <laughs> that'd be a very different show. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, a little bit outside our scope. All right, so we are back yet again for another episode, uh, as we stated. So for those that are unaware, this is the first time that you've listened to this particular show. Uh, it's where Jim and I like to we read and kind of talk about and break down some of the uh, famous Marvel intercompany crossover comics. <laughs> right. Whether it's, whether it's with their main rival, the di- quote unquote distinguished competition, DC or image or dark horse or dynamite, you yep. know, just any, any of the various crossovers that Marvel has done with other right. companies. Right. And there's been quite a few of them more, you know, as we've dove into the doing the show, there's way more than I even remembered, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, there's some where, you know, Will is kind of taking point on, on plumbing the depths of the internet for, uh, <laughs> for these crossovers. I go, really? Yeah. That was, that was a thing. <laughs> and then some of them, some of them, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. That was cool. I remember this. Right. And then sometimes I look and go, I never even knew that existed. And that's awesome. Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. You know, stuff that I probably dismissed out of hand, like, oh, not another crossover. But, you know, again, I turn you to our first episode, Hulk v. Mm-hmm. Superman. Yep. I, I, I was it Hulk and Superman, Hulk versus Superman. I think it was a Hulk versus the Incredible Hulk versus Superman, I believe. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that was a book which I probably had dismissed out of hand and just went, holy crap, this is one of the best comic books ever. Yep. And then you get Batman Punisher like a fire. <laughs> right, right. So there's, you know, we've, we've climbed to the highest peaks and then fallen in the deepest trenches. Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, I wax poetic about the, uh, <laughs> about the quality of, cro- of these crossovers. And, you exactly. Know, the, the vast majority of them so far, this is, this is our 12th episode, and the vast majority of them so far have kind of just landed in the middle. They're yeah. fun. They're okay. Um, the, you know, I... There's been a few that it's like, yeah, this didn't need to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where, hey, you know, it's all right. And then you get most of them, which is like, you know, there are worse ways to spend a, an afternoon. Right, right. You yeah, know. yeah. Yep. So no. we, we encourage you to definitely check those episodes out if you've got, you know, a spare 45 minutes to an hour and a half, you know, because yep. we tend to go a little shorter, a little long. It just depends. This might be one of the long ones, though. Might be, might be. So what we're doing today is, uh, so in 
the kind of the start of what I what I kind of deemed the crossover era, which was right around 96, 97. Yep. Which is where the bulk of Marvel, especially Marvel and DC specific crossovers happen. Um, there was, they were kind of anchored by a series uh, that was called DC versus Marvel Comics. Okay. Um, right. And sometimes it's titled Marvel Comics versus DC, depends on which issue, but the idea right. is the same. It's, yep. a four, it's a four issue series uh, where basically the entire DC universe goes up against the entire Marvel universe. That, that's the base premise. Essentially, right? yes. Right. Yeah. And they marketed it as the showdown of the century, right? It was like the biggest marketing big two thing ever really at that point. Right. You know, and this is, I mean, just, I, I think we've talked about this on a few other episodes, Will, but you know, this is Marvel and DC with their, their A-list stables pretty much depleted. Mm-hmm. At this point. Now, a few of them, you know, like the Kubert brothers and Ramita Jr. were still over at, at Marvel after, you know, the, the defection of the, the image creators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, DC had a few, few people leave. Uh, I think notably John Byrne. Yep. was their probably their their highest level talent that had left to go to Dark Horse to do uh uh what was it Gorilla Comics? Uh no, well he did what Next Men. Well yeah, but I'm talking about the Dark Horse imprint. Oh, it was a legend. 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 Yeah, legend. Yeah, it was, was like the 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 Easter Island. Yeah, so uh, yeah, head. Legend was a bit of a, a weird one where it was like it was an imprint that was created mainly by Frank Miller, John Byrne, Mike uh, Mignola. Yeah. And I, there was I think a couple other guys and it was kind of their their version of trying to do an image oh, thing but under yeah, Dark Paul, Horse. Paul Chadwick was part of that right, too. Right, yeah. And uh yeah, it was just basically, you know, a creator own thing for them all to do their own stuff and and to kind of wall off their their corner of Dark Horse Publishing. Sure. But, but you know, DC had their stables depleted to a point. Marvel really took a hit. And, you know, companies like, like Dark Horse became, uh, were surging at this point with mm-hmm. a lot of great creative-owned content. Of course, Image Comics, mm-hmm. you know, this was the time of giant shoulder pads and pouches. The pouches, yeah. This was the pouch era, right? Glow, glowing eye things and action lines <laughs> like 80s anime. And, uh, and women who somehow, like, turned their bodies in angles that were unbelievable. Like, they just didn't work. You, look, you swear their backs were breaking. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and to be <laughs> frank, to be frank, I think, uh, uh, well, we'll get to it later, but, okay. but the, the main comic companies were going, ooh, let's have our women defy the laws of physics like the image characters yep. do. Yep. And uh, there was plenty of that as well. It was, it was not an enlightened time like today is. No, no. Well, and I mean, there's still some of that today, but, you know, not nearly as much. It's not, no. what, it's not the zeitgeist, right? It's not, not the, exactly. Yeah, the prevailing system, right? right. Um, yeah, so with that, we are talking DC versus Marvel Comics. So this was a four-issue miniseries um, that also helped birth what was called the Amalgam Universe. We'll get into that a little later. Um, yeah. But essentially... 
um, with this four-issue miniseries, we're just going to start with the first two issues. There's there's a lot of ideas happening here. Um, there's a lot of kind of an overall world thing happening in this issue uh, that we're going to kind of break down. Uh, but and then 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 we'll we'll kind of move into the second part of Marvel vs. DC in a later episode. Right. Sounds good. I'm I'm looking forward to actually talking about this. So one thing that I want to open up with right at the get go. Um, is that this is something a little bit different from other crossovers. So most of the other crossovers, as we've talked about before, um, do happen in the Marvel crossover universe, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a universe, uh, it's like 75, 62 or something like that. I I always forget the number. Some random number Marvel universe. And that's where, you know, the the two, the the different sets of characters all live essentially in harmony, right? You know, Gotham exists in the same place as New York City, right? Right, exactly. Um, So... In this one, though, this is one's a little different in that it actually takes place on New Earth and Earth 616. So these are the core universes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For the Mar in each of the perspective companies' multiverse, right? So this is actually happening in their core uh, uh, continuity, essentially, right? Right. Um, At least at the start. Um, now there's some stuff that'll happen later in the series that changes that, but that's essentially how it starts is on earth 616. Right. Um, and, uh, let's go in here to the, just for, just for a, uh, uh, cause we always like to break down the credits here. So there's, there's some interesting credits on this one. So, uh, let me pull up my issue here. Sorry. Okay. So we have it written primarily by Ron Mars. Right. Right. With an assist from Peter David. Right. And Peter David. Exactly. So we have talked about Peter David. He's been on the show a couple of times. I mean, his, his books, right. His writing. Um, So we have, we have talked (laughs) a little bit about Peter David. Um, I don't think we've talked Ron Mars at all at this show. Have we? I don't, I want to say no. Okay. I, I want to say no. Yeah. Not that I can think of off hand so ron mars let's just to break it down is a com- famous comic book writer he's been around for a long time um yep. he's not he's not one of the old old timers like we talked about like last like last episode with archie um, right but he's kind of one of those mm, would you say he, he came out kind of a, the the bronze age or no, maybe i want to say probably 80s? mid to late 80s, yeah, 80s you know okay. but but he you know really you know hit a uh, career high uh, as the co-creator of Kyle Rayner at DC Comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's where Ron Mars kind of blew up, as it were. And, you know, he has had uh, substantial comic runs at both DC, Marvel. I think he was at CrossGen when when that was well-funded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's, he's what I call a journeyman talent. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he's... I, I always kind of thought of someone like Ron Mars as the equivalent of... I mean, a comic book writing, a jobber, right? I mean, and that's not meant in a negative. Exactly. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I've had some issues with some of the stuff that, that, that Ron Mars has create, you know, has written. Um, I think that if you want to look up an example of something that, you know, he's responsible for, you can look up fridging mm-hmm. characters, uh, which is how women were not treated right. very well in comics. And that's not to say he's a misogynist or anything like that. It just started a trend. Right. And, you know, some of the trends he, he created weren't necessarily the best. But that being said, um, you know, even though me as a longtime Hal Jordan fan, I eventually came around to Kyle Rayner. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it took me a long time. I was butthurt after Emerald Twilight. <laughs> I, I, I'll admit, I was really butthurt. But that being said, you know, Ron Mars uh, eventually got me to start to like that character, as well as, char- you know, writers like Judd Winnick and Grant Morrison and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has written other things that have been just fine. And And obviously, Peter David, another, I mean, who you, I would put up there as, as one of the top writers in comics. Yeah. I, you know, in the last 25 years. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to argue, you know, especially when you're talking big two comics, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not creator owned work. I exactly. Mean, That's what I mean to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, to, I mean, I think Claremont is probably the top, right? Yep. I mean, he's kind of the, but after that, Peter David's probably pretty close, right? I would like, say he's up there, especially if you want a sense of humor to your books. I mean, <laughs> there is, there's, I mean, look up his run on X Factor with Larry Stroman and later um, um, Joe Casada, and you will see uh, a, a book that had this kind of almost workplace comedy element to it. Mm-hmm that I really enjoyed. So anyway, it was nice to see that he was part of the, the creative, uh, uh, squad on this. Yep. Um, and then, uh, okay. What else did Ron, Ron Mars did Batman aliens, which was uh, one of the ones that I really like. Uh, Batman alien series was great. Um, he did some silver surfer. He did some Witchblade. Um, he did a number of pieces for top cow for a while. Yep. Yeah, he did. Uh, Well, hell, he did uh, Darkness Superman, I think. Yep. Uh, he did Batman Tarzan. He did he did Witchblade Punisher. So uh, yep. he's, he's a guy that I'm sure will be in a number of issue number of episodes of this show later again. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, this is a guy who gets crossovers. You know, and 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 that's to say that he understands. You know that companies have their their masthead characters and they each need to be given equal weight to those mm-hmm. character voices and i think he's a guy that gets it and then on the art duties for this this uh for this series we have uh, a couple guys one is dan jurgens um i don't think we've talked dan jurgens much on this show but he was a longtime superman uh, yes, he- uh, artist artist and writer yep in fact he's he is famous for he created doomsday mm-hmm. right yeah he was he was uh one of the principal uh writers for the uh death of superman the later reign of superman and rebirth mm-hmm. of superman uh cycle as it were uh he created booster gold he's you know uh, he, he was, I mean, he's worked on Thor and Warlord and, and Captain America. So this is a guy who's worked on a lot of different books. I think he yep. worked on Spider-Man too. Yeah, yeah he's, he, worked, he's worked a lot. I mean, he's one of those guys that you can, yeah, in fact, he did work on um, Clone Saga. Um, oh, he worked yeah, on exactly. The Clone Saga right around which the same is, time. Yeah, which they actually kind of, you know, sort of reference mm-hmm. in this issue. So there's anybody who remembers the Clone Saga, <laughs> you get Ben Riley in this yep. book. Yep, yep. Clone yep. Saga is definitely something uh, that's, it's one of the more interesting pieces of uh, Marvel history, especially Spider-Man to kind of dive into if you're ever interested um but yeah, yeah that's it, a, that's above my pay grade i'm not going there <laughs> yep, it's a little outside our scope uh, <laughs> other than these few occasions where we get crossovers that have um have ben riley in them right that's uh, right so it's also the uh, the other artist uh of of credit here is claudio castellini 
yes. who is an Italian comic book artist. Right. Um, and also, a, a guy that's been around quite a while, done quite yeah. a bit of stuff. Also worked uh, on cross-gen comics, like you mentioned earlier, with yep. Ron Mars. Um, also, Dark Horse, Star Wars guy, done a lot of DC, done a lot of Marvel. I mean, you know, just another guy that's been around quite a bit. Another oh, long-time yeah. kind of jobber. Uh, Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. He worked on a lot of those those quarterly comics that are unlimited runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's somebody that I never disliked. I, I won't call him one of my favorite illustrators, but he's always somebody that I went, okay, this is kind of cool. What, you know, what I do look at is that I know him probably better from his Italian comics, mm-hmm. you know, with Dylan dog yep. than I do. I, I'm looking here and I go, Oh yeah, I probably read those. So, right. you know, it, it, that's what I know him better for. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, when you look at kind of his work, he didn't seem to have a whole lot of like significant runs in America. A lot of single issues, a lot of like two or three issue series, but not, I, I don't see much in that like big run, right? right that, that, exactly. that career defining run. Right. So that's, that's the breakdown of the core credits here. Um, so I do want to mention um, one of the anchor, well, the, the anchors on this, uh, Joseph Rubenstein, who is, who is one of the, all-time Marvel greats mm-hmm. of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. He was uh, the anchor on Dan Jurgens's uh, pages. And then you have Paul Neary, who's another one of my favorite anchors from his time, especially they spent with Alan Davis on Captain Britain for Marvel UK, Excalibur, mm-hmm. X-Men. Uh, he, was a, he is a champion anchor in that and then the color work was done by digital chameleon yep. because this was the dawn of digital coloring of computer right. coloring so right. yep yeah yep and then and then uh on edits we got a couple people we got mark grunwald uh very yep, the very famous great. yep long time marvel marvel editor famous for his uh i would his say eye his- for continuity right very like- strong eye for continuity and one hell of a writer in and of a, you know in his own right um, with um, really, well, first, I mean, one of the all-time classic runs of late 80s, early 90s Captain America, as well as um, uh, Squadron Supreme, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, their sort of take on the Justice League. And uh, it was a, I, I would say a, it was a 12-issue maxi series that was one of those, def- it, it's not given enough, given enough credit for being one of the big works of comics deconstructionism at the, at the big two. Yep. You know, we, we normally think of the dark Knight returns and we think of Watchmen. Um, or I you mean, think, or you think of like flex Mentallo, right? Flex, flex Mentallo, you know, you know, you could, you, I mean, the list goes on from all of these, you know, the ones you call crazy British writers, right? Yeah. But, but um, Mark Grunwald is, is, is this guy who came up through Marvel editorial. He was at Marvel his, his whole career that I'm, that I'm aware of. And, uh, you know, he started and then, you know, he passed away um, being uh, an executive editor over there. But I think that those two comics in particular, especially Squadron Supreme, uh, were asking tough questions of Marvel readers back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a really interesting book. So definitely recommend that one. Cool. 
So with that, should we kind of kind of get into this book, get into the down and dirty here? I um, think we can do that. <laughs> so the cover, let's just start out. The cover has like a million people on it, right? Like it's oh, got... It's- it's- it's got a split cover uh, line down the middle with like the Marvel heroes on one side, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Namor, Thor, right? Bunch of people. And then on the, on the other side, you have a bunch of DC characters, Superman, Shazam, uh, Wonder Woman, Batman, Lobo, right? So you, right. You, have, like, you have a good stable of both sides. Right, know? right. I, I like how their edgiest characters at the time, Wolverine and Lobo, were in the foreground right. of this comic, so... Right, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny too. Like, I, I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a big Lobo fan. Uh, for, uh-huh. I, I like Lobo. He's a great character, but he always felt wrong in DC. Right, like, <laughs> like in the sense that he didn't seem to belong there. He belonged in like an indie underground, and they would have done him better. You know what I mean? That's always the impression I got. Right, right. And I can't remember which one of the Grants was it. Stephen Grant or Alan Grant? That was the Lobo writer primarily but i know it was simon bisley who was right who was a big judge dread artist over at 2000 ad so i always thought of lobo when he was disc when his stories were 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 uncoupled from the marvel or excuse me from the dc universe right. i always felt them as to be kind of on that 2000 ad level right maybe yeah, yeah. not as good as judge dread or 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 um but in that same world, right? Like it right. felt at home in that kind of, in it, yeah, most definitely you're right where those yeah. Lobo stories would have, they would have definitely felt home. I mean, yeah, British it, sci-fi yep. sensibility to it. And yes, it was Alan Grant and, and most notably Keith Giffen was kind of the main Keith, yeah. writing force between b- b- uh, for Lobo for quite a long time. Exactly. Um, cool. So with that, the book starts out pretty quick. It just dives into a world with Spider-Man and we're dealing with this is again like we mentioned before ben riley spider-man right right um and he finds a what appears to be a homeless guy or a guy living on the streets that's guarding a weird box in and out that that's is glowing yeah that's glowing yeah shooting rays out of it so uh, what what i'll say is this whole intro with spider-man in this i was confused a little bit on what was going on yeah. um, <laughs> it was a little unclear because then you had like this other guy walking through the alley that didn't seem like it made sense. Like it just seemed odd. I didn't quite get what was happening, but essentially this glowing box made Spider-Man disappear. Right. Glowing box made Spider-Man disappear. A younger guy walks into the alleyway. And I, I honestly don't believe the art was clear in describing this, this, what will eventually be this, this, um, viewpoint characters motivation Mm -hmm. so it's very confusing set of panels here um not sure and 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 man you want to talk about a book that just throws you into the deep end of the pool Mm -hmm. i mean was it by page four page four spider-man's facing off against the joker exactly so yeah so so yeah so spider-man warps into a different world and wakes up essentially on a rooftop with the joker yeah um they have kind of a conversation basically basically just trying to let you know that obviously these two don't know each other and they don't know what's going on right right and with that, we move into like more scenes of kind of the similar situations where we have we have a scene with Juggernaut fighting the X Men, fighting Wolverine, Gambit, and Storm. Yep. Who then he automatically he he in the process of their battle disappears. Exactly. Right? And then we move on to find that he warped himself into Metropolis, where he gets basically caught by Superman. 
Yeah, because he's like mid teleported mid punch going after Wolverine. And then he punches the side of the Daily Planet, knocks a sub- substantial chunk out of the uh, uh, of the build- Daily Planet building, and then Superman just shows up with his mullet and rings his bell. Yep, that's it. Juggernaut yep. out. <laughs> so, so then it moves back to the alleyway with the glowing box. Okay, right. And this is where you get the impression. So this guy is trying to keep whatever's in this box at bay. So he like wraps it in what he he duct tape basically. Right, he oh, says yeah. later. Um, he yeah. wraps it up in like duct tape to try to keep it sealed, whatever this glowing box is. Um, but what, and he's trying to stop it from breaking out, but he keeps failing at this. Right. So then we move on and we see more of the same, more of the, the heroes in situations getting warped someplace else. So mm-hmm. there's like a scene of Captain America fighting off Hydra people and then he warps, right? Right. There's a scene of Wonder Woman. She's um, helped save the life of a cop and then she warps away. Right. And then you get a scene of Hulk. So it kind of goes on. There's Hulk and then there's Superboy and then there's that, there's that scene with Lobo out in deep space somewhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I, I got to, you know, we're skipping over one thing. And again, you yeah. know, I, I like to talk about, you know, yesterday's comics versus today's comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this point, the Hulk and his, the personality and the Bruce Banner personality was uh, in the midst of Peter David's epic run on that tight on the Incredible Hulk title. Right. And the Hulk's used to wearing pants and, and what looks to be Air Jordans. And he, <laughs> he's out in the wilderness and he's knocking down trees with Betty. Betty Ross, his his now wife, they're married, and Betty Ross is collecting firewood in a red off the shoulder mini dress, right? <laughs> right. Th- that you would you would wear to like a poison concert, right? Um, and this it's is not totally... what you would be collecting firewood in. No, no, no. And she's got sneakers or something on, and and all this. It's just the most. It's. It's just one of the most, it's just why. Right. She should be wearing flannel shirt and jeans. Like you shop out of the Timberland catalog like everybody else. Right, right. No, this looks like they must have been like at at a concert and then left to go collect firewood. Yeah. Just like, like, that's like the only boom. thing that makes sense here. Yeah, like like the Hulk ripped through his size 9X tall <laughs> poison shirt, and it's like, oh, let's go get firewood, Betty. Hulk smash, you yeah. know. And I don't mean to take us off point, but you know, then we go to Superboy with right. the bikini models, with the the, the physics, with gigantic the, racks, right? I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's physics defying, and, mm-hmm. and then it just gets weird and weird, and then we get Lobo. And that's weird. And then we go to the various players kind of who are left behind, you know, they're going to their various corners to discuss what's going on. Yeah. So, so we start out and this is where we actually start getting a little bit of story here. Right. So we get, we're, we're at, we're at Xavier, Xavier school, right. We're at X Manor and Xavier's talking to Beast He's with Psylocke, Wolverine, Gambit, Storm. Which, by the way, this—it's a—it's like a big giant splash page. This Wolverine face is hilarious. Oh my god, it's absurd. It, it, <laughs> it, I, it, and this is the typical Marvel '90s Wolverine face. Yep, yep. With it, it's gigantic hair, like unbelievable hair. And they go beyond lamb chops. I mean, I don't even know what they are. They're—they're—they're they're, they're like. Lamb chops created by the Weapon Plus program. It's right. just nuts. Right. It's nuts. Yep. And they're all in their um, in their '90s X Men kind of the Jim Lee era costumes. 
Right. Very so. reminiscent of the cartoon for people who yep. remember the cartoons better. So, um, yeah. And so then we get a series of scenes where they're trying to figure out what's going on. They, they're trying to explain, hey, he just disappeared. Uh, we don't know what it is. We're trying to analyze it. But then, just as they're doing that, uh, Gambit, Storm, and Wolverine disappear in the exact same way. Right. Which leads to a montage of the box kind of go, you know, and uh, <laughs> the box, uh, no amount of duct tape, which is apparently a fundamental material of the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get Green Lantern, Electra, Flash, Thor, Aquaman, Silver Surfer, Shazam, Captain Marvel, the Submariner, Quicksilver, the Jim Ballant Catwoman, who mm-hmm. de- who defined physics defying in yes. the 1990s. They all go. <laughs> into wherever they're going at this point i will say yeah so were they were was this era they were still calling him captain marvel or was yes. he going okay yeah he, i couldn't they, quite remember when that when that switch over to primarily being shazam happened it happened in the new 52 that's Ooh. when they decided that they wanted shazam to be a completely standalone trademarked character of dc's okay so that they could promote it without any confusion of carol danvers so so then we move uh after this to a scene of batman uh basically what what's happened is bullseye has been warped into the bat cave and he's taken robin hostage and it becomes obvious through their conversation that basically none of them know what's going on right like it's obvious bullseye was not meant to be here and he doesn't know why he's there or where he is and the same kind of goes with batman and robin they don't know what's going on but they they know that something is obviously happening that they that's kind of outside of any of their control and just while they're having this discussion robin gets that yeah right so yep. essentially, these heroes are kind of. Switched. In fact, I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I gotta stop you. Yeah. And just anytime somebody gets zapped, just go. <laughs> that's should, what I happens. Should, uh, I should cut that as a as a sample. Well, and would then you just yeah. cut it in? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll I'll do it live for you. Okay. okay? All right. That'll so. be my little performance art as a gift for me to you and all of our fans. So, so they kind of, so we have, we have Marvel characters jumping into the DC universe. We have DC characters jumping into the Marvel universe. Dogs and um, cats living together, total yeah. anarchy. <laughs> um, and they warp. And uh, what happens is Robin happens to warp and land in the bedroom of Jubilee. Uh, which is and, kind of and, fun. And Sam Guthrie's sister Husk, if I remember correctly. Yes. 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 From generation Gen X. X. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. But then we warp to a scene with uh, Superman going back to the Daily Planet and come to find out that uh, <laughs> the Daily Planet has been taken over by J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> and an interesting thing is that the Daily Planet is only a couple of city blocks from the Fantastic Four building mm-hmm. from Four Freedoms Plaza at this point. So, yep. uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so and yeah, some- J. Jonah Jameson is the new chief. And uh, Clark tries to say that this is non-smoking and that, you know, Jameson tells him to stuff it. Right. Which right. Which is great. Yeah. I, I do. I will say I, that's more of a crossover I want to see is I want to see Jameson versus like Clark Kent and Lois Lane. How great like, would it be to have a crossover that would just be between the two papers right. of each of just the Daily Planet trying to beat the Daily Bugle to, to a, a story? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that'd yeah. be fantastic. I would and read the hell out of that. I would comic too. Book. I would too. And I would love to see like Jameson like 
like you know threaten Perry to a fist fight at some yeah. point. You know what I mean? Like I think that'd be hilarious. Oh, it'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, and have their assistant editors like uh, Robbie and and right. uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember the assistant, the main assistant over at the Daily Planet, but just have them stand in the corners like, man, I'm really sorry about yeah. this. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to end well for either right. of us. <laughs> no, that'd be fun. But essentially, while we're here, we find out that yeah. So as, again, they're kind of just hammering home this point that weird stuff is happening, right? Um, right. And they they show a picture of like steel fighting absorbing man. Yeah. Which I find this scene hilarious, where Clark Kent's looking at this picture and. He he goes steel battling some kind of absorbing man what? Like, as if he can see him absorbing from the picture yeah like, like this doesn't make any sense like how do you have like some kind of special photo development vision that was a holdover right. from from the kurt swan era of Superman? He's, he's got that he's got that thing like the like iphones have where you can like take a picture but then select at different points you know what i mean like you can go forward and backwards a little bit you know because so, there's no way from this black and white photo that you can see that he's an absorbing man you it's know just, it's sort of it's sort of like rick deckard in blade runner track 45 by 12 yep <laughs> right exactly exactly enhance Enhance. Enhance. Right. So so then we, we fly to a montage where again it's it's again just superheroes and supervillains that shouldn't be together all fight. Green well, Lantern yeah. versus Kyle Rayner versus the Green Goblin, Daredevil versus the Riddler, Captain America versus Bane. Right. Um and here and this is over while they 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 put this with what's supposed to be a Clark Kent article. It's right. really a Clark Kent editorial, right? Yeah. It's it's it, obviously not not a not a journalistic article that he's writing. I, 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 and look, I I, I want to just say again, due respect to Ron Mars, but this this part was nonsense. No, it it yeah. was just it was so hard to follow because, you know, in like take for instance, Marbles, Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross, mm -hmm. that comic book when it dropped into journalism mode, where where the eye of the story, Phil, um, can't remember his last name, but the photographer, right. You know, he would be journaling and it would actually go with the flow of the story. Yeah. And it felt like the 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 editorial piece come uh, uh, journalistic column was fighting against like swimming upstream against these images of like Batman fighting Venom or Captain mm -hmm. Marvel fighting Dr. Doom or the, you know, this is a comic book crossover I want in one panel, which is Deathstroke versus the Punisher. Yeah. You know, give me more of that. You know, give me the, give me Etrigan versus Ghost Rider. Yeah. And, and, and that's the problem with this book. And I, I hate to tip my hand so, so early in the show, Will, but there are too many ideas in this comic book, mm -hmm. you know, and they're, they're not giving any of these great ideas enough room to breathe. Well, and that's it is, is that there's a lot of, like I was saying, a lot of just kind of hammering home the same point. Right. Right. Where over like, and over again. Yep. We get it. They're warping and now they're fighting now more warping and fighting. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. We got it. Right. Um, and Oh, some of them are friends for three panels like she Hulk and Supergirl. I mean, right. you know, yeah. okay, fine. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it just, I'll be honest. This one took me a minute because mm -hmm. I had to reread this about two or three times, you know, just to kind of have it fresh in my mind. And I just, eh, it, yeah. it just didn't well, work for me. What I think would make it better, um, is I love the, I love the montage of panels of different things happening. Right. right. I, I, I like that. 
what I would like to see, what I would have liked to see is for those stories to eventually be spun out. Right. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a scene of Superman versus Annihilus. Right. That's awesome. I want to see that story. Those two are perfectly on par with each other. I would love to see that fight. Right. Just, just like how I want to see Punisher versus Deathstroke. Or there's one of, uh, of, of basically JLA versus Fantastic Four exactly like you know, okay that's that's interesting or shazam versus doom yeah that is awesome to me yeah like i think and dr that, doom would be an awesome story to go up against shazam or spider-man going up one against another one of his totemic villains you know spider-man mm-hmm. has villains like the rhino and the lizard and the vulture mm-hmm. you know and he's going up against man bat which would right. totally fit a, the scope of a spider-man it story would. But they're all teases because there's zero payoff for right. for any of these panels. So with that, um, after all of that kind of happens, um, we move into, again, back to the Daily Planet, where they've essentially hired their new photographer who took these pictures. Uh, and his name is Ben Riley, a.k.a. Peter Parker, right? Well, and, and here's, okay, and this is the part that drives me nuts because I hate the Clone Saga. I'm sorry, nope. yeah, Clone Saga fans. But Peter Parker, okay, Lois Lane introduces the new photographer, and Superman goes, heck of a photo, sorry I didn't get your name. And then Peter Parker says, well, it's really Ben Riley, but my professional name is Peter Parker, so I guess that's what you can call me, and thanks. You know, it's just like, that was a whole word balloon of just right. BS. Right, right. You know, right. if he's Ben Riley, commit to him being Ben Riley. Right. Well, you, and see, that's the problem with the Clone Saga is it got very convoluted, right? God, yes. It, it was, it was, it was an interesting premise that yeah. I was on board with, but it got it. It what was supposed to be essentially like a six month max storyline got turned into like two and a half years, right? Yeah, God, and yes. it, it kept going through these changes, and it didn't make sense, and it, it was just a giant jumble, right? And that's one of the worst parts of it. It's like, okay, are you Ben Riley? Are you Peter Parker? But you're not the real Peter Parker, because at this point in time, Peter Parker and Mary Jane moved off to uh, uh, Portland, right? They were living in Portland, Oregon for a while. <laughs> right. And right. so you have Peter, you have Ben Riley pretend, or his professional name. So he's like working as Peter Parker, but he's Ben Riley. Like, it was so complicated that it didn't need to be. It was nonsense. Yep. It was all nonsense. But I will say that it goes to another page mm-hmm. where you start to get the scope of the story. Right. And I think this is the best, one of the best pages of, of the book. Yeah, which definitely. Is, which is with the Spectre. Yeah, so, which so is, what yeah, happens please. here, what happens here, I, I think that this is by far the more, most interesting parts of the story are the parts yeah. that, that focus, uh, and there's only a few pages, that focus on we have the Spectre on one side, right? And this is, this is Hal Jordan's Spectre, correct? No, 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 no. This is the original recipe Jim Corrigan Spectre. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure when the Hal Jordan Spectre yeah. came around. At I want I want to say this is during John Astrander's run on the Spectre that he was doing with Tom Mandrake at the time, which were really some fantastic, you know, um, supernatural revenge comics mm-hmm. okay. um, for the best, you know, for the non DC initiated. So you have you have the Spectre on one page. This is actually a nice spread, right? Because you yep. have the Spectre on one page, and then on the opposite page you have the Living Tribunal. Oh, right. I love this character. Yeah. I love this character so much. I'm just, I'm a huge fan of Marvel's cosmic entities, right? Yes. In general, like I yes. love them. And I love, I love when they pop up every once in a while and make some kind of grand 
like you know when they appear something major is happening right <laughs> that's right uh why is there a celestial standing next to new york city right <laughs> oh god <laughs> so so here's i mean and now now here's where my question came was mm-hmm. why is it did this strike you as odd that, it, that out of all the cosmic beings that the, they chose the living tribunal here well because i felt like like entity or someone like that made more sense eternity you mean excuse me eternity you're right okay yes but okay so yes i would think that 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 a quote-unquote character if you can call eternity a character Mm -hmm. would have made more sense and i think dc has characters in their stable i want to say infinity or something along those lines um anyway that that would make more sense in fact i think it was infinity because we covered it in jla avengers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on a previous episode However, um, the specter is the instrument of, of Big G God's wrath in the DC universe. Okay. So he is like an angel of vengeance, an angel of judgment. And then you have the living tribunal who's the cosmic serves, balance, right? The cosmic right, balance ser- serves in a similar capacity. So in that way, it kind of makes sense. They're equals in that respect. Okay. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. All right. Um, yeah. So, and, and you essentially start getting, you, you flip then to the last page of the first issue, which is where you have, uh, are, the, are these guys transformers? I mean, like, what <laughs> are they, are they micronauts? I'm not quite sure what these guys are. Are they soids? Somebody yeah. tell me. Yeah. They, they look like, I mean, to me, honestly, the first thing I thought when I saw them, was Galvatron from the start from the Transformers movie? Wow, nice. That's what cut. I saw. Right, nice I, slick like, there. Yeah, they they very much resemble that, but they're called the Brothers. Yes, right? that's that's the best they could come up with. <laughs> right, they're they the Brothers. Names. They don't get names. They don't come get on. yeah. They come don't get on. any kind of. Uh, they don't get anything else. They're just known as the Brothers, and one is blue with a red cape, and one is red with a blue cape. Why couldn't one be Brother Blue and Brother Red? I mean, you know, right. I mean, they could have, one could be, they should, <laughs> this is a political year, so you could say, right. I'm the GOP brother, I'm the Democrat brother. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. I Yeah, I'm a little, I, the part that bothers me is not that they just called them the brothers here, it's the fact that they never give them a name. No, their no, name it's through, their, their canonical name is the brothers. The brothers, and 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 by canonical, you gotta understand this. This series has an expiration date. Right, you know, this is not going to go forward into each continuity. It's done after this. So, right. by not giving them something more memorable, you just think the red guy and the blue guy. Yep, the red transformer versus the blue transformer. That's Absolutely. And yes, the, the Micronaut reference to anybody who's old enough to remember <laughs> Baron Karza, the blue one totally looks like Baron Karza. <laughs> I do like, I mean, to be fair, I like their design. The design they, is not bad. It's but, they, just, but they definitely don't look like a Marvel character. They look like a Transformers character or right. something like that, right? And, they look like they don't belong here. And, and I don't know. And, and look, I'm just a comic book reader. I'm not, you know... I, I've written a couple of th- minor things. You've published a few comics, Will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're going to do something this big, you've got to create a character that's that big. You right. know, it, it seems like that these these beings, all they do, that, that the best that they are is a narrative device. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they're just a narrative device, why didn't you just 
slip in the living tribunal versus the specter because right. they're already they already come with name recognition or like we said eternity and infinity and infinity like to me those you already have beings that right. make up the universe that represent the universe why right. did we create these secondary beings that now represent this universe that look almost identical right. to one another and it it, it it just to me it's a bad choice yeah and um you know, it's a, it's a definitely a weird story choice that I don't agree yeah. with. Um, but it is what it is. That's the yep. story, right? Yeah. So that essentially closes out the story portion of issue number one. Um, then there is a, a a couple editorial letters. There's not. I mean, I read them. There's not really much. Uh, they don't really dig in and give you much information. I feel I, like you know, and I think at this point, unless that they they were really speaking um to you know major events in the publishing industry like um like with uh the amazing spider-man versus superman mm-hmm. um you know they're they're to me to be glossed over you know i just i kind of read and go oh, okay this is neat you know or like when we read archie and punisher last time you know ah, okay this is kind of cool you know mm-hmm. this makes sense but in this one we know what the story is it's it's simple down the middle they're not trying to create you know, a masterpiece of graphic fiction here. They're just doing a, a smack around book. Mm-hmm. So we should, we should probably note here before we dive into issue number two, um, that this, this series also came with it um, a vote system, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so they had, <laughs> what they had was essentially they, 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 they had a, the heroes are going to fight each other. Right. And they had a thing like a ballot you could fill out and send in. Right. Right. That said, who do you want to win out of these battles? Right. And it had a list of this guy versus this guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so fans got to vote. Some of the outcomes were from what I read, what I'm to understand is some outcomes were predetermined. Right. The the editorial staff picked the outcomes. Um, The other set of outcomes of those battles were chosen by the votes. Okay. Um, so they, they, I think it was like three or four of them were editorial. The rest were voted. Did something. they ever, did they ever um, uh, reveal which ones were, were predetermined and which ones yeah, were? Yeah. Uh, I actually read that they did. And I'm trying to remember, I think any of them that are shown in the book, right. Essentially okay. were the predetermined because they had to do the art for it. Right. Got um, it. And I think anything else was kind of, uh, or added at the end, right. Based on the votes. Um, okay. I had it up earlier, but I don't know if I still have that tab open. Um, and plus those fights really don't get resolved till later in the series anyway. Right. right? right. So, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it's, you know, reminds you of the, the death of Robin kind of fan vote, you know? Yep. Yep. The one 900 kill your sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, the, I mean, really the, the end of issue one ends with, um, there's some, some kind of, uh, uh character breakdowns right Right. of different marvel and dc characters superman hulk captain america batman uh wonder woman right so just to kind of give everyone an idea of of who all these characters are like if you're only a dc reader and you don't know marvel characters really really well or the other way around exactly okay so with that let's move into issue number two okay Okay. so issue number two so both of these just uh, again for for everyone on who hasn't seen them each issue is about a 38 pager 40 pager around there um but the actual story part is only about 30 page so right and then the rest is kind of filler filled in now this issue 
is written by Peter David with thanks to Ron Mars. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. about the major difference between the two. And this is one that is titled Marvel Comics versus DC as opposed to DC versus Marvel Comics. Exactly. So with that, we start... This page opens up with a character called Axel Asher. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's a little confusing. They, they kind of mm-hmm. give this history of this character, and then he's starting to be uh, arrested by a policeman. But you don't really know who this character is or why they're here. Right. You know, um, the cop thinks he's getting into his car. Maybe he's had a couple, knocked back a couple too many or something. And, then the uh, cop gets approached by another cop, and one cop's from Manhattan, the other cop's from Gotham City, and the two are like, what? Yep, yep. So they uh, start arguing about, you know, are you actually a cop kind of thing? Um, but that is quickly distracted, this whole argument, um, by coming out of the sewers in the middle of a battle is Wolverine versus uh, Killer Croc. Now, I got to ask a question here real quick. Why the purple pants? Why is it that if you have green skin, why do you have to wear purple pants? Is it a law? Yeah. In comics? <laughs> yeah, it might be. And I wonder, I wonder the, uh, so I don't, I know Killer Croc, but I don't, I don't know enough about him to say, does he always have purple pants? No, he doesn't always have purple <laughs> pants. Why did they feel the need to do this? This, yeah, is, I, this is bonkers. Maybe it was a, it was a, a, just maybe it was a fun little homage to Hulk or <laughs> something, you know? I, it just bugged me. Just, it was a little thing. Right, right. Come on. Now, my question here is, does Lizard wear purple pants? Pants? Lizard hat. In fact, I remember having a Mego action figure of the lizard, <laughs> and he did indeed have purple pants, but he also had the kindness to wear a black shirt. Fair enough. Fair enough. And sometimes the lab coat. Sometimes, yes. My, yeah. my action figure had the lab coat. <laughs> so um, with that, we get into this battle. Wolverine is fighting Killer Croc, and they're making wisecracks back and forth at each other yep. while... Uh, Clark Kent and uh, and uh, Peter Parker, quote unquote, are taking pictures off in an alley. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so odd. They just happen to be right there and hiding in an alley. Yeah, here are these two two feral guys making with the stabby on one another. And the best that Superman Spider Man could do is sit there and take pictures and think, I have to change into my costume. If only I can d- ditch this guy without him getting suspicious. You know, yep. it's like. Ah, right. Ah. Um, so from this point, the, the battle seems to have raged on and we get back to this Axel character. Yeah, because you know what you follow up a scene with? <laughs> when, you, when you have a one page of Killer Croc v. Wolverine, which could be one of the most savage intercompany fights of all time, you need to, to drop out of the action and show a guy going to an ATM. Right, right. Yeah, right. because... To me, that describes action in comics. To be fair, I mean... ATMs were new? No. Well, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> to be fair, you know, I'm not totally against the ATM scene. I saw American Psycho. That was a great <laughs> ATM scene, okay? So, so you know, maybe, you know, maybe Figured that's, up. you know, maybe they thought some that we could really have some action here, some, something you know funny. What? So you're um, saying that Peter David was <laughs> was inspired by something written by Brad Easton Ellis? Okay, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, Moving on. So, uh, so, so it, while he's trying to go to this ATM, he sees a light in the alley, and it turns out to be our friend, the light up tape box. Yeah, right? it's 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 box hobo. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so essentially, the guy's like. 
the guy who's trying to, to seal the box is like, knows who this guy is. He knows right, who Axel right. is. And he's like, Oh, you're finally here. Right. Took you long enough. Um, and, and the, the essentially it leaves us at that. Okay. So box hobo knows who this random rando is. <laughs> yeah, random. <laughs> hobo um, v rando right dawn of box lights <laughs> um but um then we get into we immediately flip to thanos okay yeah now this i'll tell you again i mean we've talked a little bit thanos right. versus dark side wait who doesn't who doesn't want that fight uh, that's we, no that's what i want right i want the fight yeah. i want the yeah, I want to see them trying to outsmart each other while they're also fighting, you yes. know? Yes. And I want to see them trying to get plans upon plans and, and their egos kind of battling against each other, you know? Right. It would be great. I mean, and, and this is joked at later. I mean, because as as we know the famous story, Thanos is essentially a ripoff of Darkseid, right? Uh, Thanos, yes. Thanos was created to be basically Marvel's Darkseid. Yeah, Jim Starlin said, hey, we could use a guy like Darkseid. Yep, and yep. They said okay, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, and and he and and he piloted a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, the Thanos copter at one point. That it uh, said Thanos on. <laughs> I love <laughs> the Thanos copter is like is is still one of the greatest like comic book things ever. Like the you, fact you, that the fact that you have a guy like Thanos and he says, you know what I need? I need, I need a chopper with my name on it. Like, <laughs> and this is like this is not like a Blackhawk. Okay, this no. is like this is like a yellow helicopter from mash right i was about to say it's kind of sort of like canopy yeah yeah it's sort of like yellow yeah yeah it's like it's just like a bell 222 or something right right? yeah it's insane it just has a thin letters on the tail of the plane where it would say like november 64532 thanos thanos Thanos. nothing's better than that i I, you know i have to give it to any writer and artist combo that that thought you know this will work this this will work (laughs) Like, I wonder if that was the letter or just being a dork to everybody <laughs> else. You know? Okay. Say that I'm not a real artist. <laughs> I'm going to write Thanos on the helicopter. So, so moving on, we get just a quick thing of Thanos and Darkseid kind of, kind of because going face to face. Because we can't stay with a face off. No. We have to move to Captain America v. Bane. Yep. And then we move to uh, a back to Wolverine and Killer Croc, essentially. Yep. Um, and then a scene of you have Gambit fighting Nightwing. Uh-huh. Um, and you have a scene of Wonder Woman and Storm meeting. It doesn't show them fighting, per se, but it shows them kind en- of meeting. Encountering. An encounter yeah, right. between the two ladies. I, I I'm will sure say... They'll, I'm sure they'll just talk things over. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. So, um, so then we get to a scene which I... Again, it's it's the stuff missing from this comics that I want, right? Right. right and right. and we have a scene of Bane about to break Captain America's back when he's hit by Captain America's essentially uh, boomerang shield, right? Yeah. And just before, I just got to say real quick, Captain America's torso a little deformed. Mm-hmm. That's all mm-hmm. I'm gonna say. A little just, bit. They don't, you know, the 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 adherence to to anatomical illustration principles wasn't the same in the 90s as it is today right so right. just you know take you know kids give it what it is give it give it yeah. a little bit of breathing oh well i mean you just look at bane holding him up bane has some muscles that are sharp yes right? like, yes <laughs> like serious like letter opener sharp um right. oh let me use my tricep to open this mail oh exactly. no i owe the phone company 200 dollars. <laughs> oh dios mio um 
But yeah, you know, so Cap gets out of that one. I think that's all we need to say about that. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to more battles. We have um, Batman chasing Lizard yep. uh, in no pants, by the way. No, no pa- purple pants is, in this shot. He is pantsless. He has, he has decided to streak in Gotham right now. Yep, yep. And he's looking quite a bit like, uh, like he doesn't look like what I think of as the Lizard. He looks at what's what's the lizard in Australia that has like the the wings that flap open off the sides of their yeah. head. Yeah, like or like the like the Jesus lizard, like running Gee, yeah. across. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, ah. that's that's what he looks like. Uh, I'm so, streaking Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Hank the Tank. Right. You um, get some cool acrobats between Nightwing and Gambit mm-hmm. here, and, mm-hmm. yeah. and and then we flip back to our our. The absolute favorite part of the the, the comic, yep. the yep. the duct tape hobo box. Uh, <laughs> so, so duct tape box is like starting to bust out of the duct, um, right. and in fact, it does. It basically blasts all the duct tape off, so it's it's emitting its power freely. Right and now, as, this I gotta I gotta mention here. So there's two panels mm-hmm. as as the duct tape cosmic box is which sounds terrible is starting to burst open <laughs> my favorite character in the comic come on I mean, come on duct tape box yeah um the the specter is on the left side is on the left side of a panel under that where the energy that is shown from this cosmic box is shooting out of his eyes and mouth mm. and then on the other side of the panel the living tribunal has the same thing happening from him yeah but what's really weird is is that when i first looked at it it didn't look like because they're using a very similar yellow to the yellow of the of the living tribunal. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that one of his faces was smiling. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm shooting cosmic shite out of my yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, but I no. can see I can see what you're saying. I, I, I see that. I I didn't see that at first, but now that you mentioned that I, I had to look it. back at that and go, whoa, Listexia Batman. So uh then we go back to Batman Nightwing, and then of course. Because when you're in the middle of a fight and you want to get out of it as an X-Man, you know, instead of, you know, running away or hiding in the shadows or stuff like that, when you have Gambit and Wolverine teaming up, they got to boost a car. Mm-hmm. So whose car do they boost? Well, Bat- Batmobile, why not? Yeah, because I'm sure the security system is easy to defeat on that. Oh, I love it. I, I-, I love, I-, I get the idea that Batman is like a police officer where he just yeah. leaves the car running at all times it's just, and unlocked, yeah. you know? Windows were down the whole nine yards. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Like I swear, police officers turn their car on and then break the key off. Like that's what I because <laughs> I, I, they're always running, right? right? <laughs> like so, this is not Tim Burton's Batmobile from 1989, ooh, where that goes into lockdown mode. Right, right. Oh. So, so yeah. So they basically take off, and and Batman's like, whatever. We can track the Batmobile. We'll, right. We'll find them. Um, and then we flip back and get a quick scene again of, of Robin with Jubilee. And oh, wait, kinda... before that, there's one panel of the mole Oh, that's right, right, that's right. And his sub, subterraneans, yeah. his, mole, his mole people, infiltrating the Batcave. Just one panel of that. Yeah. And I, again, another again. thing I want to see. Right, right. I want to know what the mole man will do if he, got, yeah. if he suddenly was digging and dug into a giant, to the Batcave. Like, now, that's again... You... That's a story I want. Now, did you read John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four? No, I've, I've bits and pieces, but no, I've never actually sat and read the whole thing. There was a really cool story that John Byrne wrote about the Mole Man where you go, wow, the Mole Man is not only brilliant, but he's a complete badass also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see after reading that, I would love to see a Mole Man Batman fight. Right, right. 
No, that's interesting to me, especially yeah. since it's like moles and bats are both kind of blind. Right. Like you could play off of that, right? There, it seems yeah. like that's an obvious connection. Obvi, right? Right. Um, so with this, <laughs> with this, as we move on, essentially the energy that escaped the box escaped the specter in the tribunal's mouth. Yeah. Um, basically zaps into everyone's mind and what happens is the entire world becomes aware of what's happening which is um that essentially the brothers have noticed each other oh no so so the word is the story basically is that these two brothers um they are locked like in they're they're like in everlasting kind of (laughs) battle i guess um but they 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 separate and they they stop battling every so often um and they're separated but then at some point they notice each other again and then they want to fight again right right and this is one of those times right and right. So the I mean I, I just love the fact that the basically the climax here is that the brothers have noticed one another. And like in that's one the eye, best wording they could come up with. Yep. And in <laughs> one eye, they go to a split down the middle splash page. Mm-hmm. Where on one side of the page is the red face of the brother, and it's got the specter, you know, haunting its eye. Mm-hmm. And then on the blue side the living tribunal is in its eyes. So it's like, ah, all this meaning that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Right. It's, ah, the, ah, the, I can't handle all this meaningfulnesslessness. Right. Right. So, so essentially though, what's happened is again, the brothers here don't matter to the story because of what happens here is the specter and the living tribunal have come up with a solution to prevent them from yes. all-out war, right? Yes. And the solution is basically what you can expect. Let's take our great heroes on one side. We'll take a set of avatars, basically, right. and battle against your set of avatars, and the winners will determine the outcome. Exactly. But the, the stakes here are the losing universe is destroyed. Right. So, so those there, are the stakes. There are stakes. I won't say it's necessarily clear, but there are stakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And the, and the, the key here is like the heroes are like, well, we don't want to fight each other. So then there's a, a caveat put in the rules that says that the, if they um, refuse, then if they refuse to basically battle as the avatars, then the brothers will still decide to go to battle and, and it would still happen anyway. Yes. Kind of yeah. thing. So, so, the, so basically they have to fight each other. And if they don't, they're going to both lose. It's kind of, right. that, kind of the idea. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and in this, we head back to our favorite um, hobo box. Yep. And hobo box is hobo's talking about that the box is basically a collection of shards of this interdimensional energy. Yep. And yep. he collects them. Yeah, and it's about the size of a refrigerator box. Right. So, you know, perfect thing to put. You know, shards of of you know time space cuttings i don't know what else to call it yep you know i don't know if you ever saw the good place but there's an episode where one of the (laughs) characters gets shot through space time and then he comes out of it and his first words back are i saw a time knife (laughs) and that's essentially what this is this is space time mcguffin so then we get to a scene immediately where we have thor versus shazam and they're like well we don't want to fight each other but we kind of have to right right um and and to be fair okay 
Now, I have to say something here. Please. I did not read Thor at this point in time. Oh. What you, is even going on? Is this... this is you mean Bear Midriff Malibu Thor? Yes. Do you know... What is happening? I'll tell you, because if I remember right, this is an arc written by a very young Warren Ellis. Mm. I think it was called God Machine or something. Godhead or God Machine. And it was a six-issue run of him with art by Mike Deodato. Okay, all right. And, and the story was great. The bare midriff, strappy, shoulder paddy, head sock thing. No, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Mike Deodato on Thor at this time. Mike Deodato, who grew immeasurably as an artist since then. Nope, 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 nope. And uh, Captain Marvel, again, some musculature, musculature deformity there. Mm -hmm. um, but man, his cape is very spawny, I thought. Um, it's going all over the place, flapping. And, uh, you know, before they fight, they because they're, they're spiritual beings, they pray. Okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so this was a very, just a very uh, different looking Thor than I have ever really noticed. His hair is so epically flowing. Oh, God, it's beautiful. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it makes Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall look like a chump out of Friends. Right. I mean, this is, it's truly a magnificent hairstyle, but... The costume department took a dump all over. It's, yeah, I'm, it's it's hard to justify what's going on here. No, they're, uh, they're, it's awful. It's awful. Yep. So this 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 is obviously a very dark time in the Thor costume design department. <laughs> yeah. And now is this is this the same Thor? Or is this a different? Oh, it's know? Thor. No, it's 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 okay. Thor Odinson. Yeah. Okay, it's I didn't know if he, it was a different because I know because because the Thor mantle had been taken up by a couple different people. Right, at, this from time is a, to time. I want to say this is after he got it back from Eric Masterson, the one who became Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike, right? Yeah, and and I love since he's got this enchanted hammer that he needs, a, you know, basically a chain, right, so that he never loses it. Um, attached to the hammer so mm -hmm. i i thought that was really awful so if you wonder why there's a chain to it it's extreme that's all right. you need to know and then we move on next page we we flip back to thanos dark side for literally like one panel yeah but it, i love the bit that peter david throws in yep where basically uh thanos uh proposes a wager and uh you know dark side which looks not my favorite uh, illustration of dark side but the the line is i wager you pale imitation of me uh -huh. that you will lose right. and i agree wholeheartedly <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yep yep but i like no, that it, they reference that he that thanos when he was first created was simply marvel fan or marvel dark side right. so right um and then we flip to a panel of lois lane walking and she gets attacked by scarecrow right yep and then Peter Parker makes like an early John claude Van Damme to kick him out. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that gives Superman, who is about to arrive on the scene, time to go, oh, well, I wonder if I should be jealous. And that was terrible. And then Thor and Captain Marvel fight each other. Yep. Eh, yep. You know. Yep. And then it just kind of goes to some battles. What I, what I do like are like, there's this little scene in here of, of more people placing their bets on how the wager, because you have to remember the, the, the light emitted that story and that information to the entire universes, right? right? So everyone knows what's going on here. It's not just like the superheroes. So now you have people like you have these carnival, these carnies running their booths that are yelling at each other over which who's going to win 
win the, the battles, right? right? So, you know, and that's, that's kind of fun. I think that's kind of an interesting element. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically, yeah, you get Thor and Captain Marvel fighting for a couple pages when uh, Captain Mar or excuse me, Thor realizes that Captain Marvel's power is derived from lightning. Yes. Right. So he he says, "Oh wait, I'm the god of lightning, right? So I can I can I can affect this." And he throws his hammer into the lightning as as Billy Batson's trying to Shazam and become Captain Marvel again. Right. And at that point, the lightning disappears, but so does his hammer. Right. Yeah. Oops. Yep. Guess so, that chain didn't work so well, did it, Thor? I guess not. <laughs> and and basically, that's the outcome of the battle is Thor won. Right. Right. So so this is a. Thor won the first battle of Marvel versus DC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what you find is that the hammer warped to another place where, where Wonder Woman finds it. Yep. What I love is she says, oh, look, there's an inscription here. Of course, the, the inscription on the hammer, whosoever holds his hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Is it not like the worst inscription? Like <laughs> yeah, the way right. it's drawn? It yeah. looks so cheap. Like you, you couldn't even have given it like a fun font. No, or something no, like no. like an like an old tiny English font. The no, best they they could best they could do is sort of approximate the Thor logo. Right from from the old days. That was I as mean, close as they got. It's pretty close to Comic Sans. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's basically what we're looking at. And I was like, oh, that's that they could have done that better. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's terrible. But essentially, uh, Diana says, uh, you know what how do they decide who's worthy that's a subjective thing and she reaches down to touch the hammer and is zapped by lightning yep, um, yep. that's that, all we see that's all we see so then we flip to well i mean this fight makes sense yes namor versus aquaman right yep. i mean yep. and, and it is famous just like we were talking about dark side and, and and thanos it is famous that aquaman was created as a copy of namor Yes. Right, Namor was first. He was the original uh, uh, king of Atlantis or prince of Atlantis or whatever mm-hmm. the title was. Um, right. And Aquaman was created as the DC ripoff of that. Right. Well, and um, he wasn't even. There was no Atlantis in the Golden Age Aquaman mythology. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. an experiment from his father mm-hmm. created him. But uh, in the Silver Age, he was kind of remade into the prince of Atlantis that right. we know from Know and Love. What's interesting is is that also Peter David who wrote this issue or is the primary writer on this issue also was responsible for creating this version of Aquaman with the hook hand. Oh, so, yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, he, you can kind of see who he was, who he was, uh, 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 what did they call that in, in football? A little home cooking, uh, mm-hmm. was involved in refereeing this fight between the two of them. I thought. Yep. Yep. Probably. Um, but yeah, so they get into a water underwater fight and they're punching and swimming. Um, yep. and then we flip to a scene of Quicksilver versus the Flash. Right. Right. Who's the fastest, right? Yep. Um now I and basically the Flash is like, this guy Quicksilver's fast, but he ain't he ain't he ain't nothing, right? That's yeah. basically what the impression you're getting. And in turn, they're fighting in the street and they almost get hit by a big rig. Um a tanker truck, for yes, that matter. Yeah, like a gasoline tanker truck, right? Yep. And uh they end up uh basically causing this truck to crash and the tank explodes, but Flash is able to run and save the two people in the truck, right? Yep. And super fast, saves them and quicksilver literally okay this is like i guess that everyone's fighting for their universe here right this is a bitch move all right Uh. like like literally 
like Flash is distracted saving the lives of these people from the accident that they caused, and Quicksilver uses the opportunity to sneak up on Flash and beat the crap out of him. Right, right. Yeah, pretty lousy. But then you realize exactly who the fastest man alive is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the Flash, who recovers pretty quickly and takes care of business. Yep, yep. So Flash ends up winning this battle. Yep. Okay, so we got two battles taken care of. Thor won battle one, Flash won battle two. And, and then, then we, we f- go, yep, go ahead. Yep. So then we flip back to what is basically an aquarium um, <laughs> yeah. where, where Aquaman and Namor have shown up and they're still fighting. Um, Aquaman ties up Namor with his little harpoon rope. Grappling hook grappling hand guy. Thing. Yeah. And to which Namor starts pontificating. And while he's doing that, this is why you this is what i call home cooking yeah (laughs) is aquaman aquaman literally i don't know does he take him out or does he like tell the whale to do this i i don't quite get if aquaman aquaman has marine telepathy which because we're evolved from fish works on humans now he anytime he uses his telepathy on humans it scrambles their brains but marine mammals and fish and all that, anything living in the ocean can understand him perfectly. Instead of directly attacking Namor, um, oh, and the other thing is that Aquaman doesn't talk to fish. Mm-hmm. He commands them because right. he is their king. Right. And from out of nowhere, Shamu just goes <laughs> smack. And what's great is, and this is one of the best drawn panels, is because there's a little literally foreshadowing mm-hmm. as Namor is monologuing. The shadow comes over him with the splash behind him, and he's like, "What? Yeah, wham!" <laughs> and now you're immobilized. Yeah, so literally, <laughs> just, they use they use the 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 killer whale. Yep, as a weapon to just crush Namor. That's it. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> so DC is now up by one. Right, right. <laughs> and then we flip to a scene where we find out that the Daily Planet with Peter Parker and Lois Lane working there has You mean been- Ben Riley, oh, who's you, uh, Peter Parker uh, professionally. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know what I meant. I uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so you come to find out that essentially the um oh and what I like here before we go on to it is there's a little odds board. Did you notice this in the background? (laughs) I just noticed that. Submariner versus Aquaman, nine to one odds. Yeah. Flash versus Quicksilver, six to three odds. And Thor versus Captain Marvel is even. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's interesting. I I read right past that. Oh, that is great. (laughs) That is great. You come to find out that the Daily Planet has been purchased by none other than our friend uh, Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin. Yes. So, so essentially, Peter Parker, Ben Riley, whatever, and Lois Lane are now employees of Kingpin. Yes. And then it's like, ah, ah, and then there's stormy clouds, and then it goes to another page. We're at the top of the page, Thanos and Darkseid are facing off, and we find out that Wonder Woman is worthy. She's got the hammer. The two brothers are at the bottom, and in the center of this page is Hobo Box with is, the two yeah. dudes. Is light up Hobo Box, our best friend yep. here. Hobo so, Box. Yeah, and then the, the little like ghostly apparitions of the brothers was completely unnecessary. Uh, like it, it doesn't make any sense. 
like it's almost <laughs> like hi kids we're still here yep so yeah. then we and then we get to it says it ends with continued in marvel versus dc number three wherein we learn the results of your voting on the battles of the century century century, century. and uh, then you have the scoreboard so here's the scoreboard okay yep hulk Su- hulk versus superman okay? yes Captain America versus Batwoman. Batman. Or excuse me, Batman. Excuse me. No worries. Storm versus Wonder Woman. (laughs) Spider-Man versus Superboy. Uh Uh-huh. Wolverine versus Lobo. Yeah, right. That is another crossover I would pay money to watch. Uh, Yeah, give me that. Yeah. I I want that comic. Give me Simon Bisley. Have Stephen Grant do it. It'll be wonderful. I want want Wolverine warped out into deep space, like picked up by the Starjammers. (laughs) <laughs> and like warped out in this deep space somewhere and he runs into Lobo at a bar. Right. And, and that's they get it. into a that's bar. The comic. Yeah. Yeah. The comic that's... is them just having like some kind of like like back and forth dialogue pissing contest and then right. a fight and that's it. You know, and just like aliens heads getting cut off and yeah. the head that was cut off is going off into another panel and there's a thought balloon coming from it well that wasn't very nice you know <laughs> having bonker stuff like that happening i'd read the, the crap out of yeah that. most definitely okay and then we have quicksilver flash which flash is x'd out he already won we know right this. yep then we have jubilee versus robin so they're gonna fight but jubilee she loves his fashion sense i know she only I said know. it like 30 times in the last two issues <laughs> and then we then we get submariner versus is Aquaman, who Aquaman already won. Yep. Then we have Elektra versus Catwoman, which uh, is a fight that I would I would want to see to this day. Yeah, that's an interesting one to me. That's uh, that's not a bad fight. And then Thor versus Captain Marvel, which Thor already won. And yep. then then Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern. That's yes. another one I would read. Yep. And I think there was a crossover. Was there? I, want to say, I think there was a, a Silver Surfer Green Lantern crossover after this. Well, you know, we'll find out because we'll get to it eventually. We'll get to it. <laughs> and yeah. so it says here at the bottom, that's the score right now. DC leads by one, but this game's not finished yet. There's eight more battles to go, and the combatants are closely matched in power, skill, and intelligence. What will be the fate of the comics' two greatest universes? That's up to 16 superhuman beings and you, you your votes are all in and being tallied look at the results next issue yeah you know then, i can imagine that being done by the uh, voiceover guy for a, a monster truck rally right right yeah yeah next issue 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 hulk versus superman <laughs> big, bigfoot versus the grave digger right <laughs> exactly <laughs> but then we then the rest of the issue is just more character bites right yep. ending just like the first issue did exactly so, so current state current state we know who's battled we know why we're here i mean it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why we're here but we know why we're here we're here um, and and now what and what's what's you know out of all this we list these where is thanos dark side on this list <laughs> i want that's the fight <laughs> that's the big fight that's right. the one for all the marbles in the universe that's the one that should be for all the marbles in the universe right, right. i mean they could have just done dark side v thanos right. and have all the superheroes of both universes go maybe we should peel these dudes off of each other because they're going to collapse their universes in on one another and then like they trick them into both getting stuck in the source wall at that, some point ding dong you just yeah. won the prize yeah you know i i'm sorry that you didn't need all this other crap. <laughs> None of it. I'm, I'm sorry. I...
Look, this is the part of, of the podcast where we kind of give our overall impressions, right? Am yep. I wrong? Yeah, I'm no, right. No, I'm go right. for it. Go okay, for it. I'm going to start this one, okay? This this book is nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's nonsense. and In a way, it's great nonsense. I mean, these were the stories of the 1990s mm-hmm. where, you know, the stakes are cataclysmic. I mean, every other issue, something's going to happen that's going to split North America in half or something right. like that. Right. And I totally get it. I understand at the time, this is, this is the, the kind of storytelling. I mean, it's almost, I'm surprised Chris, Chris Claremont didn't write this stuff because <laughs> it's the plot and the dialogue are so convoluted that and look i you know my love for chris claremont i i love chris claremont but chris claremont was a creator of a certain age you know like i'm rereading dune right now Mm -hmm. and the science fiction that came out of the 1960s is definitely not the science fiction that's coming out today or even 20 years ago right but i still love it you know for because it's set in its own time right this book however takes that and turns it up like finds the spinal tap dial and takes it up to 11, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it's like they go, I mean, they would call them smash cuts like George Lucas in star Wars. It's like smash cut to next scene. Bam. Let's do a screen wipe. Bam. Let's just keep going and bam, 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 bam. You know, they don't stop. They don't take time to realize just some of the great stuff that they're mm-hmm. setting up in this book that most likely you're never going to see really pay off. What so, I will say, so, I, so I, I just want to, I just want to finish yeah. by saying this one thing. And that's my problem with the book is, is that there are too many great ideas and not enough great story mm-hmm. to flesh it out nope. in, in, in what they put out in the, the two issues of this comic. Right. It's, it's a 10 pound story in a three pound bag. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, and that's, that's, I, I don't know if I'm quite as down on it as you are um, in the sense that I, I definitely, I think I like it better rereading it now than I, than I cared in that era. Right. Okay. At the time, everything felt like I, I, to be fair, there's a, there's a time span of about like 95 to like 2000 where I hated Marvel and DC comics. Yeah. I hated everything that was coming out at that time. Um, I just didn't like the art. I didn't really like the stories. Every, like you said, the stakes were always like so big, you know, and, and the crossover, like it, it felt oh, like it, that era was like the era of like editorial leading, like wagging the story dog, right? Yeah, and, no, and, completely. In and, fact, I can tell you that the only DC book that I, I regularly collected, I want to say it was 97, 98, when Grant Morrison and Howard mm-hmm. Porter's JLA came out. And that was the only comic book that I was reading there. And I was reading Avengers mm-hmm. because they were coming out of Heroes Were Born. So I want to say that was 99 or 2000. Mm-hmm. But I was reading mostly, you know, image books at that time. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And that's it. Is, is there was... There was a certain era that I just don't care for. Now, I've gone back now, especially with this podcast, gone back and reread some of this stuff. And it's not all bad as, as, as we've seen. Um, it's not all as terrible as I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely, though, does scream of its age, right? That's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, and as long as you take it within the context of its age and you, you go with what it is for its time period it's not terrible. Like this was not, you know, what I will say is there's, yeah, as absurd as some of the story points are in the story so far. Um, and as much as like, why are the brothers there? What is with this box? Like, this is just a, such a, like, it's such an absurd no. idea. Like um, seven, what's in the box? Right. 
as much as all that is, overall, it was an easy read. It was, yeah. it was, it was a fun, fun enough read. I mean, I was like, I didn't feel bored reading it, right? Um, yeah. And so there, there is that, right? And that speaks to something. Would I want to reread this? I, I doubt after we finish this entire series, will I ever go back and go, you know, what <laughs> yeah. we should reread Marvel versus DC. That was awesome, right? And, like, and that's I'll, not I'll how be I'm like, good night, everybody. I'm yeah. gonna go jump off a pier. <laughs> I mean. I'm we're not, I, I don't, I'm not saying that by any means. Is there some very deep flaws in this? Yes. It, but it was presented in a fun enough way, yeah, right? I, I guess one of my problems is, is that, you know, so about several months ago, we did uh, JLA Avengers. Right. And I think I was spoiled by that because Kurt Busiek went deep mm-hmm. in into that book. And yeah, that book, you know, we... we you know, I, I did not remember it as well as when I, I first read it so many years ago. But I, I, I think it kind of spoiled me a little bit because the stakes were very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. only one universe was going to survive. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, so it, it was it's a duplication of plot in a very short period of time. Right. And of, of meta plot, I should say, of the, of the overall thrust of the story. Um, but I will say this, that there were some definite enjoyable pieces. I just, I just wish there was more. I wish right, there was more right. meat on the bones. Yep. yep. And, and, and I no, know and that there, I, there were comics that were capable of it in this time. Yeah. And this is not one of them. No. And know? there's, there's like, like we've talked about, I think that there's moments that, Hey, you could have cut this out completely. I mean, to be fair, the Thanos dark side stuff, I want to see that, but at the same time, it serves absolutely no purpose to the, at least these first two issues. Right. So cut no. that out and give us more of the other story. You most know what I'm of saying? The, but, but my problem is, is that most of the stuff, doesn't matter because right. the the ultimate stakes are are in the hands of these two celestial micronauts mm-hmm. you know and that's <laughs> and that's the problem right the pro the problem is is that this book is is ultimately the fate is controlled i mean I, I think you said it earlier where you know the heroes decide to fight because if they didn't the brothers were going to fight well what's the point right you know, the, <laughs> you know i mean yeah maybe i'm being a, a a bit of a solopsist, I think, is the, name, the, <laughs> the arm of philosophy where I'm just thinking about all, all of the universe centering around myself here. But, you know, it's like, come on. You know, you're the superheroes of two universes. You could team up and mm-hmm. figure out a problem. You could shunt them into a wormhole or into the source wall or something. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. You know, it just... I, I, I or just again, again, why not call someone like an eternity? Right. It just to come battle like- To come battle, like, these two brothers or something like yeah it feels like the yeah like the entire kind of premise is just odd right it's it, just five years later i thought kurt Busiek did it better mm-hmm. you know and he did the, the the same essential you know big picture plot and you know it, it and accomplished so much more inside of four issues and obviously this is a four issue series but then we get all the amalgam stuff mm-hmm. which we're going to cover in later episodes you know, so that, you know, it, it just seems like this is a spawning ground for a bigger thing. And that's all it's there for is, is it, it, it was there as a cash grab right. by both Marvel and yeah. DC. And that's, that's the part that leaves kind of a bad taste in my right. mouth. Right. I mean, yeah, it definitely, like we said, feels like it's an editorial thing, right? Yeah. Like this is not yeah. a, it feels like they, they had to make up a story to fit the premise as opposed yep. to letting the story build on its own. Right. Right. Um, exactly. And, exactly. And so with that, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I think there's some definite flaws on it. Um, 
but again, unlike JLA Avengers, I don't ever want to read that. I did not enjoy <laughs> reading that, right? I, I mean, and, and I mean, you can go back and listen to the episode. I thought it was yeah. kind of a joke. I, I yeah. didn't like it at all. This, I, again, I, I don't know if I ever really want to read this again, but I didn't hate reading it. I right. hated looking at it. <laughs> I hated looking at it. I thought, I thought Castellini and Jurgens, their styles were completely incongruous with yeah. one another. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, as much as I love the anchors, I mean, again, Joseph Rubenstein and Paul Neary are two Hall of Fame anchors to me, and I don't think they served either side well. Yeah. And I thought for, and remember, we, we were talking on several occasions i think especially our spider-man gen 13 episode where i was talking about the oversaturation of colors Mm -hmm. this had the exact opposite problem where i felt like all the colors that should have been bright and dynamic and and Mm mind-blowing were just muted and Mm -hmm. i i just didn't get a good feeling i i I was losing my you know any i thought that that the pages ran very flat and there was a, a distinct lack of dimension, not just from the illustration, but, you know, color shading and whatnot. Just, it did not serve this book. So while I probably, you know, like JLA Avengers a little bit more than you in the writing department, though not mm-hmm. by much, I would more pick up, be like, I would be more likely to pick up that book because of George Perez's p- pretty pencils. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could at least look at that book all day long, where, where this book, it's like, oh, I, I, it's just scratchy and dark and muted and ugh. it's a little it's a little strange it's definitely yeah. a little strange and and that's the thing that I've always thought with with Jurgen's work um, in general is I think Jurgen's is a, a guy that can do some interesting designs mm-hmm. um, and I like I mean to give an example just like we mentioned earlier uh, Doomsday I think Doomsday yeah. is one of the greatest character designs in all of comics. I think that he's absolutely and and I did give credit to Jurgens on yeah. that the end of the Namor Aquaman mm-hmm. Aquaman Aquaman <laughs> uh, fight I but, really thought was was a tremendous piece of sequential storytelling yeah so now, it's now not all bad I'm not right. saying it's all bad but just for my sensibility I I and I think more of my problems came from the uh, the Castellini pages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than the Jurgens pages I think I like Dan Jurgens uh, pieces of uh, I think they worked a lot more with the story than I think the other illustrator did. Well, what I was where I was going to go was the fact that, in, at least in my opinion, Jurgens is highly inconsistent. Um, and it, not just in this book, but I mean in general, like in his mm. career. Um, mm. Oh yeah, that's true. Th- there's definite books that that I've looked at and gone, wait, this is Jurgens. Like this, I've yeah. seen, like this doesn't look like it meets the standards of what I would expect out of a Dan Jurgens, right? Right. Um, and so there's, you know, I think that there's a little bit of that in play. Um, there's definitely some weird color choices. I think you're right there. Um, I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if I hate it. I, I, I agree. Like I, I actually like that it's more muted and that it's not at least at least it's not overblown, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um. I because I, I hate that overblown color. I just um, feel it's completely underwhelming. You it know? is. And it it's is. It's just. Yeah. I. I just. I. I just don't think the choice of of splitting the art duties really worked. I, I think there's a lot of different ways this book. And again, we're Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say any creator is a bad creator. That's, this is all my own opinion, just like yours is yours. And, and we want you, our listeners to, to form your own opinions of these books. Mm -hmm. Now 
this all being said, it is no Punisher Batman Lake of Fire. <laughs> dumpster fire. Yep. It is, it is not, not dumpster. It is not a dumpster fire. So I'm not saying this is the worst crossover we have ever, ever gone through. Mm-hmm. It was just tough for me. Yeah. And, and yep. I think that, you know, I don't like rating systems. I don't like one to five, one to 10 scales, two thumbs up, down, whatever. I just was not left with that feeling of, of like, ah, oh, that was a great comic. Right. Or, ah, yeah. oh, this is a great comic for its time. To me, it was emblematic of, of everything that was not going right in the comic book industry at the time. That's fair. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, my, my, my point would just be, my counterpoint to that is, you're right. I, I think you're right in the sense that it is emblematic of a lot of things that were problematic uh, for for that era, the 95 to 2000 kind of era of big two comics. Mm-hmm. But I see that more as what I think is wrong le- as opposed to what is wrong. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. Um, and to where... To where, okay, this isn't my era of comics, and this isn't my style, but for what it is, like, I try to put myself in the mindset, what if I was 10 when this comic came out, right? <laughs> That's like, fair. Right, and if I was a 10-year-old, I think I would have loved it. I would have loved every second of this, Yeah. right? Um, and in that, really, did they, is that who they're marketing to? And did they then accomplish what they were trying to do, right? So, <laughs> so it, did it accomplish what it was a setting out to do? or or did was that a failure right and that's yeah. kind of what i'm weighing um and and i think in that again if i was a 10 year old it was readable it wasn't overwordy it wasn't um you know it wasn't the art i mean there was a couple points where the art was unclear like we talked about with the beginning and hobo box and all mm-hmm. that um there was a little bit of confusion there but I don't think it ruined the story, but it definitely needed some clarity. Um, but yeah, so I think overall, I think I think we've said about as much as we can say about this book. <laughs> hey, you know what? If you want to know what comics were like in the 90s from the big two, read this book. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to say. It's yeah. a great archaeological study let me put to you like that okay yeah i could i <laughs> that, buy that that's how it, that's and and look i didn't feel i didn't feel like you hurt me by saying let's let's review this book this mm-hmm. month um mm-hmm. no so so i don't take it personally well just to let you know <laughs> oh i wasn't don't worry <laughs> um so with that so yes. with that let's talk a little bit about what comes next okay okay so, so in the grand story, in the grand story arc, um, there are two more issues of this series, okay? Yes. And that'll be part two. Um, but before we get to that, um, I think what we need to do at this point is to bust in to a little bit of amalgam. Um, so yep. the amalgam universe is something that comes out of all this. Um, but there are stories, there's one particular story that kind of interacts with the later part of this series. Yes. Um, and so with that, um, let's, I think that we should do the next episode on that book standalone and okay. then the, the following episode on epi- issues three and four of this. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds, so, now, do you, do we want to talk about what that book is right now? Yeah. Yeah. So that book is, um, it is called, do I have the actual title? It's Dr. Strange Fate. Yes. Okay. Um, and so Dr. Strange Fate is a mixture of um, Dr. Strange. Strange. Yep. Right. And do, is it Dr. Fate? Is yep. It? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm, again, I'm not as, as well versed in the DC universe. Nope. So. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm glad to be of service. Yep. So yes, the doctor will be in next episode. Okay. And so this has, this also will have a, 
it, it features this sorcerer um and it all it's called dr strange fate which is a kind of a, a mashup of dr strange and dr fate um and it features a character named access which will yes. have a play a greater role in the later story so um so with that um, and in fact, they inc- when you get the trade paperback of this entire story, they put the Doctor Strange Fate issue in there in this yeah. at this point. So um, that's kind of the in the overall storyline where they considered this goes right. So that's why we're going to go ahead and do Doctor Strange Fate number one. This will be our first dive into Amalgam Universe as a whole. Um, so I- I'm a little excited about that. You know, we've talked on and off about Amalgam, and we'll talk more about it as we get closer. But um, but yeah, so I'm. Really really kind of excited to see how it goes i'm looking forward to it again as an archaeological experiment i am really looking forward to seeing what the dig shows um it it should be interesting Mm -hmm. i'm I'm really looking forward to it because i have not read an amalgam book since i was in my mid-20s and that was like 20 something years ago so (laughs) um it should be interesting yeah yep and i think i think that you'll be pleasantly by surprised by some of them as we get in there um i'm looking forward uh, you know there's, there's, I mean, there's John Byrne artwork in some of them. There's Mark yeah. Wade uh, writing. There's Kevin Nolan artwork. I want to say Jerry Ordway did an issue. There's Dave Gibbons artwork. Dave Gibbons, there's yep. Jim Belent artwork, right? Um, and some Larry Hama writing. There's Chuck Dixon, Kerry Nord. There's, I mean, there's a lot of names in yeah. the in the overall amalgam universe. That I think that there's there there. I think there's there's probably a few hidden gems in there. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm kind of looking, I mean, there's, there's Sienkiewicz at one point, right? So there's, yeah. there's some, there's some names. So I, I'm really looking forward to kind of discover that and, and, and we'll get to that later, but we'll open up next episode. As I said, with uh, Dr. Strange fate. Cool. Well, I am looking forward to it, my man. Yes, sir. So all right. with all that, uh, make sure to tune in next month or so. Uh, these come out usually about once a month on, uh, on the Epic Marvel podcast feed. Thank you again to Curtis Finley and the and the team over there for letting us kind of kind of barge in to his game. <laughs> yep, you are the man, Curtis. We love you, buddy. So with that, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media? Well, you know, some people call me Jim. My parents used to call me James, but I want you to call me Jimmers. You can find me at Jimmers with three M's on the Twitter, and as the kids like to say on the IG, you can catch me also at Jimmers. Only I had to do it with five M's. That's mm-hmm. a story for another time, as they would say. <laughs> yep. And uh, so for me, you can find me um, on a number of places, but um, I've actually just launched a new website. Um, it doesn't have a whole lot of stuff on it, but where I'm going to collect a lot of my projects and work, it's 100percentcomics.com, and that's the number 100, and then words percentcomics.com. Um, cool. And if you go there, you can see kind of, it's just sort of a landing page for a number of my projects where you can reach out to me my social media all that kind of stuff um so you can check that out you can find me on twitter at number at 100p comics on twitter um or 100 number 100 percent comics on instagram as well where i do some selling and dealing of comics on there as well so reach out to me at any of those points um and of course as always if you use the hashtag epic crossover on twitter um we follow that and we're always looking for suggestions and ideas and 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 uh feedback and comments so if yeah you have let any- us let us know what you guys think we want to have a conversation with you all and uh, we, we've gotten some great interactions on Facebook mm-hmm. through uh, Curtis's uh, Epic Marvel collection page. 
Um, but you know, hit us up on the Twitter. We'd love to have a conversation. I should, should probably stop saying the Twitter <laughs> if I if I don't want to show that I am the old. Yeah, right? if you are if you are a old. If I am a old, yes. So hit, a, hit us up on Twitter, kids. All right. And so with that, with that, I think it's time to sign off. So why don't you tell them what to do, Jim? Hey, kids. I mean this when I say this, and I say it with love. Read more comics. <laughs>